welcome to One Great History, a podcast all about the great and sometimes not so great history of Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm one of your hosts, Sabrina. And I'm Alex. And we're joined by our friend and producer, Nick. Hey, it's the holiday episode. It is the holiday episode. We're back talking about wintery and Christmas things and New Year's things this year. We are. And to start us off, I have presents for both of you. Alex, what? What? <laughs> I didn't bring you anything. Now I feel bad. <laughs> it's fine. It's a surprise Christmas present. No, should I be worried? No, it's a nice present. <laughs> it's gonna, this is going to be great audio as I bring this over to Nick and you guys rip these open. I'll wait for Nick to get his. I just feel like sometimes in our friend group, we get each other bad presents. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're welcome. That's so nice. My uh, Some good audio here of it opening. Of the crinkling. <laughs> Um, it is always it is always hard to know if I should get a good present or a gag gift. <laughs> Alex, this is so nice. <laughs> it's oh, one great history mugs. Oh yeah. With Ginger Snooks on the yeah. back. <laughs> Alex, this rules. Thank you. Oh, You're welcome. That's amazing. Did you get one for yourself too? At least I I did not. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> um. That is a hand-drawn Ginger Snooks. I, I hope you enjoy it. It's really good. <laughs> That's a sweet Ginger Snooks illustration with the logo on it. It's amazing. Thanks so much, Alex. You're That's welcome. So, so Merry Christmas. Now we feel like jerks. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the goal all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually a nice present. It I feel was. like often, yeah, our friends will give each other weirder things. I yep. once got Psychos 2 through 5 without yep. the first Psycho. I don't know that I've ever been given. Yeah, Nick, it was an awful present. <laughs> Have you seen the first Psycho yet? Yeah, I've seen the first Psycho a lot of times. Okay. I like the first Psycho. Have you watched two through five? I've watched two, and then it wasn't great, and I got, I don't want to watch them alone is the thing, because they're not good enough to watch by yourself. No. Um, one time, our friends went to Las Vegas and brought us back ads for sex workers yeah oh yeah they just hand them out on the street yeah. there yeah, yeah that yeah. was a fun one for us which was a little puzzling <laughs> <laughs> literally it's all we got from them that year yeah <laughs> i remember once doing a gift exchange with friends and it was like everyone went sincere except for me like oh, no. i did just go to like the bargain dvd bin and bought like the worst things like eric lasalle from er <laughs> as the devil in crazy as hell you know like just weird um I just remembered that I did also get you the straight-to-DVD sequel to Anastasia. <laughs> you did, yes! Which I still haven't watched. So we've got a tradition of getting you just the sequel. <laughs> yeah, and they're never as good. The thing with Psycho 2, though, is that there's a lot of scenes where Norman Bates is holding a knife, and it's, like, so dramatic, and he's, like, cutting a tomato, but it's supposed to be scary. Is it the, is it the same actor? Yeah, it's still Anthony Perkins. Okay. And he's just cutting a tomato ominously, and then nothing happens. That's the opening huh. credits to Dexter. Is like close-ups of a bunch of like like meat and vegetables yeah. and things being cut, and then like stuff that could be like he's like lacing. And it looks uh, like he's like tightening a rope around oh, someone, yeah. but it's just like his laces on his shoes. And... I feel like that's classic to have the like yeah. knife close-up. <laughs> yeah. The... yeah, but weird when it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> is this is this festive? <laughs> That yeah. we've delved into oh, no. murder shows. <laughs> well, American Psycho does take place at Christmas time. That's true. 
So if you've ever seen American we Psycho, brought it back around, which back has... around, and now it's Christmas again. Happy holidays! <laughs> and there is a straight-to-video sequel starring Mila Kunis. Right? Yeah, there is. Which the most festive of actresses? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> she did marry Ashton Kutcher. Is he festive? Probably. <laughs> I would imagine there's a Christmas episode of that '70s show, probably. Probably. So. Yeah, ho, ho, so ho, we're ho. doing a great job here. <laughs> this is really thematically consistent <laughs> and good, I think. I mean, I guess we can. I can tie it back into my thing by saying I'm also talking about the performing arts. Hey, excellent. <laughs> it's a real flimsy tie-in, but... Uh, so tell us about the performing arts. I'm talking about one specific show, and it is, of course, The Nutcracker. Of course. Because it's a Winnipeg tradition. I know you go every year. I do. I've only been once... And my most uh, experience with the Nutcracker is the Barbie version. Oh. (laughs) Which is very different than the ballet itself. I would bet. Were you confused by what was happening in the ballet? Yeah. I mean, like, I knew it was going to be different. And then I was still like, there's a lot less plot to this than the Barbie version. (laughs) It's mostly dancing. (laughs) Yeah. That is how the ballet works. (laughs) I know. I'm not proud of it. No. Uh, my sister was young when I took her, cause I took her as a, a Christmas gift and she was mostly confused that there was no talking. Okay. Yes. That is also how the ballet, ballet tends to work. The ballet. The ballet. The ballet. As they say it in France. <laughs> the no, ballet. I'm going to do a, a zine about the ballet. <laughs> Sabrina was pronouncing zine zine. Yeah. yeah. We had to make uh, sure that made it onto the podcast. Yeah. I'm glad I'm getting bullied again. <laughs> yeah. So, so the nutcracker is very nice. It's very nice. Uh, there is no talking, and it's not like the Barbie version is what we've established so far. But Wow, I'm learning so much. <laughs> so the Nutcracker put on by the Royal Winnipeg Ballet is like a pretty distinctly Canadian one, I would say. It is, for sure. Like it opens with, I there's a skating sequence at the start, if I'm remembering right. It's been a while since I've been. It also features the like House of Parliament at one point, I think. Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so like it's pretty thematically Canadian. They've been doing it. Yeah, pretty consistently since the 1970s. Yeah, I've actually never seen, like, the real Nutcracker. I'm doing real in air quotes here. <laughs> Ours is the real version. Well, okay. The, no, I wish. The Barbie yeah. is the real version. But I thought I would ask, before we get too into it, how much do you guys know about the actual, like, production of the Nutcracker outside of Winnipeg? Oh, outside of Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, I know that it's Russian originally. Yep. Um, I know that, like... The different dances are kind of mostly centered on areas around Russia because yeah. of that. That's about it. Okay. So, like, that's okay. You got the yeah. basics. Yeah, so it's a uh, Tchaikovsky musical from 1892 that premiered in St. Petersburg with horrific reviews. Oh, no. <laughs> it did not do well. Someone claimed it was a step downer for the artistic fate of the ballet and the plot was quite thin. Oh, I'm Well, you did just say that it had less plot than the Barbie Nutcracker. Uh, do you want to tell people the plot, if anyone here is not familiar with what happens in the Nutcracker? Oh, let's see. Okay, so um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, like, quickly. Because um, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine the different dances and how they actually go through a story. <laughs> okay, so there's a little girl named Clara, mm-hmm. and it's Christmas, and her, like, godfather or uncle or something mm-hmm. comes by and gives her a gift of a Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. And then she has kind of all these magical dreams about um, being a princess and the Nutcracker turns into a prince 
and they're like fighting bad guys. The Mouse King. The Mouse King. Oh, yeah. And um, going on sleigh rides and baking a cake at one point. There isn't much of a plot. No, it's essentially that this little girl gets a nutcracker as a gift, falls asleep, and then gets whisked off into sort of a dream sequence where she is attacked by the Mouse King. The Nutcracker saves her, and then they go to like this fantasy world where there's a number of dances. Yes. Now, as I'm describing this, I do realize that that is a flimsy plot. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I could see how it didn't get great reviews. Yeah. So, shockingly, it doesn't really spread worldwide in any way. It's huh. kind of a Russian thing for a number of years. It doesn't even reach North America, really, until 1944. Oh, interesting. So, like, the music kind of does. Um... So it's performed first at the San Francisco Ballet on Christmas Eve, because mm -hmm. the ballet is set on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, but the music had kind of been floating around in North America for a while, because Walt Disney included part of the Nutcracker Suite in Fantasia. Oh, right. So people knew the music, but they'd never really done the ballet until the 40s. Right. So Winnipeg had seen versions of the Nutcracker since the 1930s. Children's piano recitals often include parts of the score. Mm-hmm. Actual bands would play the songs up out at Winnipeg Beach. Radio stations would do some of the shows. And the ballet Roos comes to perform some of the songs at the uh, Winnipeg Auditorium in the 1930s. Oh, nice. Um, the ballet Roos's show uh, was noteworthy because people in Winnipeg mostly arrived on time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, it's it's the ballet. It's fancy. See, we gotta. We can't be late for this one. Yeah. <laughs> Not this time, guys. <laughs> So they show up on time, and the ballet performs um, part of Aurora's wedding from Sleeping Beauty, and then includes oh. part of the Nutcracker Suite in that. Mm -hmm. The ballet Ruse comes back in 1942, and they include another part of the Nutcracker in a sort of two-evening variety show. So uh, they include stuff like Nutcracker, Saratoga, The Magic Swan, and The New Yorker by Ira Gershwin, oh. which is a very interesting pull to put into that mix. Yeah. <laughs> but... After the uh, San Francisco performance in 1944, the Nutcracker takes off. It's sort of a family-friendly Christmas show, so it becomes yeah. like an easy staple for ballets to do. So a portion of the ballet is first performed uh, at a winter carnival in Winnipeg in 1949 by oh, locals. Fun. Did uh, we have a winter carnival? We did, pretty regularly. Oh. This was the uh, fifth annual carnival from the Greater Winnipeg Skating Club, and they had 250 skaters Wow. Doing the Nutcracker. Wow. Okay. It's a lot. So this would have been uh, location-wise at the amphitheater rink where Great West Life is on Osborne. Oh, yeah. Because there used to be kind of a sporting complex there, which yeah. is very hard to imagine now. There were 400 costumes for this show. Wow. It is a big production. Yes. And then the ballet finally takes it on in 1953 at the Pantages Playhouse. It's put on as part of a royal coronation celebration. That's the year uh, Queen Elizabeth mm. II is coronated. And that's kind of a funny coronation celebration, as it's a Russian ballet. I mean, it's part of a variety show, again. Oh, okay. So they're still doing the full version. It's right. like little dances from a number of different things. Yeah. At this point, the RWB is a number of years old. It's founded in 1939 as the Winnipeg Ballet Club. It's the longest continually operating ballet company in North America. Oh, really? Yeah. They'd begun touring by 1945, they helped found the Canadian Ballet Festival, and they were granted a royal title by the Queen in 1953. Oh, is that why it's the not the Winnipeg Ballet? It's, it's the, the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. I never thought about that. It was the first title Queen Elizabeth II ever gave was to the Winnipeg Ballet. Wow! Yeah. Uh, the 1953 performance they do includes parts of the Nutcracker, but parts of uh, more modern ballets, including one that the Winnipeg Tribune 
suggested jokingly should have been named Sex and Many Movements. <laughs> <laughs> so the dances they actually did were uh, My Baby, Jezebel, and Tropical. There was a lot of oh, rhythmic okay. action, mm. but the concern with sex has not resulted in a vulgar show. Interesting. Okay. I don't fully understand what any of that means, but... I guess it was a sexy show, but not too sexy. A sexy show for the queen. <laughs> so we don't see a full scale, like real production of the Nutcracker until they get a version choreographed by John Newmeyer in 1972. So Newmeyer is the director of the Hamburg Ballet still, and he's choreographed like 120 ballets, hmm. including one based on a streetcar named Desire. Oh, that's nice. I just thought that was kind of a fun fact. Mm-hmm. So his version of the Nutcracker debuts in 1972, and all eight shows of it sell out. And this is actually kind of a big deal. It's the first full-length show the RWB ever does. Oh, wow. They've been around for quite a while at this point. But they're doing mostly variety shows and smaller tours. They're not doing, like, full-on lengthy ballet productions. I guess, like, Winnipeg, I mean, is not the fanciest of cities. Maybe we're not the (laughs) kind of people who sit through a full ballet. Who knows? Everyone's <laughs> arriving late. They might I, miss the I plot. do often get a little antsy halfway through the second half <laughs> of the Nutcracker. Regardless, this is the first full-length ballet the RWB attempts, and it's actually their only full-length one until 1981. Wow. Yeah. Otherwise, it's mixed variety shows. Yeah. And what makes the Nutcracker kind of interesting is it's such a big cast with like the mice and the sugar plum fairy mm-hmm. and all the background characters that you can actually utilize even the students at the ballet school. Yeah, they got the little bears. Yeah. Well, kind of. Oh, so that's okay. the new version. <laughs> that's the new version. So the 1972 version is different. Okay. So Newmeyer is interviewed by the Tribune talking about his adaptation, which the Tribune calls the nut. <laughs> Okay. Uh, because it's not the ordinary Nutcracker. It's got a twist. Okay. So the Nutcracker that we know is set on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Newmeyer's Nutcracker gets rid of Christmas completely. Questionable choice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's inspired by a version that he saw in Stuttgart in 1966 when he was a dancer. Okay. And the plot of the show is completely different. I guess the thing with the ballet is it's adaptable in terms of plot right there's no dialogue it's all Mm -hmm. dance so you can change a lot of it around if you really want to right i guess as long as you have the score you're kind of you can do whatever else in the middle so instead of being set on christmas eve the show is set at the birthday party of a 12 year old girl named maria oh okay yeah that makes sense so in newmeyer's words it is about the wonderful short moment between childhood and being a grown-up And they cast uh, Marina Aglewski as the lead at 12. And she gives this really sweet quote about starring in it because she's very young to be the lead in a ballet. Yeah. The real difference for us is this is a complete play and not just a 40-minute ballet. You have to think about acting as well as dancing. And I have to remember that I'm just 12 years old. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Isn't it? So when the show opens, it's at a ballet party. The girl's name is Maria, not Clara. And her brother is a soldier who's invited his entire regiment along. Mm -hmm. Her older sister invites her ballet instructor named Drosselmeyer. This is the role of the godfather, our uncle, in the normal ballet. Yeah. And Drosselmeyer gifts Maria a pair of point shoes. Okay. Her brother's friend, Gunther, gifts her the nutcracker. And then she develops a crush on him because he's handsome and older and he's in uniform. Mm. But Gunther is only into her sister. Ah. Hmm. Oh, wow. There's more plot to this, actually. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, Maria can't dance in the point shoe. She tries to and just falls over because she's not a trained ballerina, but then she falls asleep 
And when she wakes up, she uh, has a dream that she's with Drosselmeyer. He's inviting her to a ballet rehearsal, and she goes to dance with her sister, Louise. Gunther is her sister's dance partner in this, but she gets to do a big dance number with him in that as well. Okay. So she basically dreams that she's a ballerina and then wakes up and the mm-hmm. shoes are still on her feet. and She's got the nutcracker in her arms. So wait, does the nutcracker not really, the nutcracker itself not really feature in the dreams? No, there's oh. no like nutcracker prince. Huh, okay. Just about a girl wanting to dance with a guy named Gunther. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. So it's a like fairly radically different show compared to what people might be used to when yeah. we talk about the Nutcracker today, which would explain what happens to uh, one of the uh, performers, David Maroney. So they cast a 33-year-old David Maroney uh, as Drosselmeyer, even though he'd actually just retired to go into teaching. Hmm. Like most ballet performers will retire fairly young because it's a tough industry and it will hurt your knees beyond belief. <laughs> I bet. So Maroney figured incorrectly that Drosselmeyer's role in the Nutcracker would still be that of like kind of the kindly old like godfather that shows up and does a bit and then like saunters off stage. Right. It's not supposed to be a challenging role. Oh. But uh, Neumeyer's version is demanding Mm -hmm. because in this version Drosselmeyer is Maria's guide. He is the one showing her how to dance. He's doing all of the choreography. It's no longer just like an old man that shows up and gives her a gift and like hops away yeah so i like the description of ballet as hopping (laughs) (laughs) well like the thing is he doesn't really dance okay apparently like maroni's assumption was he was gonna maybe do like a light routine and then walk off yeah but not in this one i feel like in the current one he does mostly sort of walk around dramatically yeah He's actually dressed to look like a magician. Okay. In the original show, so he's got like a big cape and very oh, flamboyant dress. <laughs> so years after the original show in 1979, Maroney is quoted saying that he felt like he was going to die after starting <laughs> oh, rehearsals. No. So it's not only intensive choreography, he is on stage the entire show. Oh, wow. There are no breaks. And he once did it three times in the span of 24 hours. Oh. So, yeah, like, it's incredibly taxing on him. He's old for a ballerina at this mm-hmm. point, and he's doing this several times a day. Jeez. And despite the, like, nightmarish pace of it, Maroney actually continues to dance and remi- and reprises the role of Drosselmeyer a number of times. Hmm. And he keeps dancing with them until 1979, where he, at 41, is one of the oldest dancers to ever dance with the RWB. Wow. Yeah. And despite getting rid of Christmas completely and apparently almost killing one of the lead actors. (laughs) The Nutcracker is a hit. It goes on tour in 1973. It's broadcast on CBC that same year. And it comes back for the 1974 Christmas season. This time they do 10 shows and there are 18,000 attendees. Wow. Which is a new record for the ballet. And then they come back again in 1974. And in 1974, there is a slightly different version of the Nutcracker that's sort of spreading around Winnipeg. We talked about this a bit last year, but Eaton's had these fairly fabulous Christmas displays. So Eaton's takes on the Nutcracker as well in 1974. Oh, that's nice. So they set up a like massive Nutcracker display on the eighth floor. It's like a winding path through mm-hmm. the story and not just like a little window display thing. So it's tough to figure out exactly what is happening because there's no videos of this as a set piece. But the Tribune desc- describes the exhibit as, It's Christmas Eve in Nuremberg. And little Maria and her brother Fritz are playing with the Nutcracker doll she receives from her godfather, Dr. Drosselmeyer. Suddenly, tragedy hits. 
Fritz accidentally breaks off one of the doll's arms. Maria sadly tucks her wounded nutcracker into a small, soft bed in her toy cupboard. She falls asleep, the clock strikes midnight, and all the rooms begin to shake. Flocks of furry mice scamper up from the parlor walls to battle the Nutcracker and his magical toy army, which have come to Maria's rescue. Okay, so that's a lot more like the Nutcracker that we have today. Except they're not doing Clara, it's Maria. Oh, yeah. So they've apparently embraced the Winnipeg version. Yes. Slightly. <laughs> Is Clara the original name? Yeah. The first one? Okay. Yeah, so. Yeah. They've gone with kind of the classic version with the twist yeah. for the window displays. 150,000 people saw these displays oh at God. Eaton's. With about 5,000 people coming daily. Wow. And I think about 800 school children specifically each day because the school kids went on field trips. Right. So the class would go They'd go, go on a field trip to go and see the, like this little nutcracker exhibit. That's yeah. really sweet. So they'd go and check it out. And I guess because some of them would have read the story beforehand, they knew at least one interpretation of it. So mm-hmm. one class from Warren Elementary School had read a different version of the nutcracker before going to see Eaton's version. And had thoughts on how it differed from the book. One kid wanted to see the mouse with seven heads, because apparently in the book they read had a mouse with seven I heads. I see that ballet version. That would be an incredible costume. Uh, either a costume or, like, one costume draped over seven dancers. How about that? I'm into that also. Another one wanted uh, ballerinas, because there's not really ballerinas in this. Because mm. it's a yeah. static display in the store. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, one kid specifically liked when Maria and Drosselmeyer's nephew got married. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> nice. This display actually is so popular, it comes back in 1975. There's 300 figures and numerous scenes running along this whole winding corridor in the store. Wow. And they actually bring an Eaton's carpenter out of retirement to come help build it. Right. And they replace it with Jack and the Beanstalk in 1976. Huh. Is Jack and the Beanstalk probably not as popular? <laughs> No, they don't mention it quite as much. And then by 1975, the RWB uh, doesn't do the Nutcracker. They do a show called The Hams instead, which is partially because CBC is airing the show again. Yeah. And also, I think, because they wanted uh, a change. A local critic, uh, Gene Telpner, said that he was tired of seeing the show every year because I guess the critics have to keep going back to review it every year. (laughs) Well, Winnipeggers just want the same, though. Like, I feel like they stopped yeah. doing the Nutcracker a few years ago and everyone was rioting. Like, yeah, so we want our holiday tradition. It's, I don't know. I'm very much like that, where I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I would like to do the exact same things from the 1st of December until the 31st of December. So we're going to watch Home Alone and eat pizza on this night. Yeah, I like, will watch yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol yeah. <laughs> on Christmas Eve. I will cry. <laughs> Life as always. Yeah. So you guys are right, because they bring the Nutcracker back in 1976. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this time, after the show, they have a birthday party for Maria. Aww. Outside in, like, the foyer area of the concert hall. Oh, that's sweet. Isn't it? And then in 1976, they also bring in Australian dancers Gary Norman as Gunther and Gaylene Stock as Maria's sister Louise. So they play a couple in the show, and they also were married in real life. That's nice. It's just kind of sweet. But uh, they came from Australia, and they did not enjoy the cold here. Oh, I bet. <laughs> they were very clear about in th- that in their interviews. But they also apparently enjoyed the RWB because it was a little friendlier than the other ballets they worked for. It's a smaller yeah. company. Yeah. There's lots of buying for spots that you might see with, like, the National Ballet. Right. And uh, Gaylene Stock specifically had actually seen the RWB performing in 1964 and had gone into ballet because of that to help uh, deal with the effects of polio. Wow. And her husband had started in Adelaide and mentions that he likes occult books, but he doesn't know what he believes. Huh. 
<laughs> it's a strange interview yep. with a lot of stuff coming out. They're going in a lot of different directions. They really there. are. But they wind up dancing in the 1976 show, and that also sells out. <laughs> so yeah, Winnipeggers just want the same thing. Really into it, apparently. <laughs> in 1977, Maroney is still playing Drosselmeyer, mm-hmm. but he's being switched out with... Uh, He's teaching partially, so Salvatore Aiello comes in and dances as Drosselmeyer sometimes, so he's not doing it the entire eight shows. Right. Which is probably better. Yeah. And this year, Evelyn Hart comes in to play Louise. Oh, Evelyn Hart. Yeah, do you want to tell everyone who Evelyn Hart is, if you know? I I just know that she's like a famous local ballerina. Yeah, so Hart is a really accomplished ballerina. She studies in Ontario and at the Winnipeg Ballet School. She joins the RWB in 1976, is a soloist by 78, and principal dancer by 1979. Nice. And then she wins gold at a ballet contest, is a member of the Royal Order of Canada on the Canada Walk of Fame, and a member of the Order of Manitoba. Wow. So, like, a really prominent dancer is taking on this role. She's not obviously that big yet. This is still fairly early into her career. But you've got these dancers that are very experienced. They know the show at this point. And apparently what they would take to do was doing a little ballet improv in the middle of their oh. dances to add some spice to it for, like, the crew. <laughs> yeah. Because the audience wouldn't know what was going on, but they would try and right. switch it up to, like... I wouldn't notice if they did a different dance. It's all dancing. Yeah. And then they actually take the Nutcracker out again by 78 amidst mm-hmm. some, like, management changes. I guess they're trying to, like, do other shows every couple of years to... I guess. Fine. Make people want it back. <laughs> So they do some French ballets instead. Mm -hmm. And then they bring it back in 1979 again. Because people want it back. And at this point... Are they performing it at Christmas time? Or is it just Oh, yes. Always at Christmas. Which is especially weird. Because, like, Neumeier says that he did it so you could perform it any time throughout the year. Because the Nutcracker is so entrenched in Christmas that you can't really perform it in, like, July. Yeah. So he's like, what if I do a version with no Christmas? And then you can do it whenever you want. Right. And the RGBB's like, we're still going to do it at Christmas. (laughs) It's still kind of Christmassy. Like, the songs are kind of associated with Christmas still, right? Yeah. I think that association is very strong. Especially when you know, like, some of the songs, especially now, come in on, like, Christmas trailers. Yeah. For movies when things are getting a little wacky. And if kids are, like, reading different versions of it, which are Christmas. Yeah. So it sort of carries on like this for a number of years. They start doing a rotating version where they don't do it more than two years in a row. Mm-hmm. So it comes and it goes. And David Maroney keeps coming back as Drosselmeyer. Wow. It is so remarkable to me, given how tough ballet yeah. is as a dance. That he's like, no, I'll keep doing this even into my 40s. <laughs> like, I know people that do, do Ukrainian dance in their teens and they have bad knees by the time they're in their like late 20s. I wonder if people like come to expect that they will see him specifically when they go to see it. It is possible. Yeah. I can't imagine. It would be very weird. Yeah. To, I don't, I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to say here. This is not coherent. <laughs> but yeah, like it would be, he's kind of a local figure at this point, right? Like you've seen him doing it every year since 1971. Right. Or 1972. So like he's been in it for a while. You want to come and root for the guy. Mm-hmm. As of 1985, uh, the RWB is the only ballet in North America doing this version of the Nutcracker. Hmm. Which is maybe not a shocker. Right, because it's this kind of slightly odd version. Yeah, it's this weird non-Christmas version. At this point, they've changed it so the role of Maria is played by dancers in their 20s, which seems a little easier for everyone. Right. And uh, by the 80s, they have Diane Buck playing Maria. And a review in the Free Press describes this moment when she's lifted by Gunther as, and suddenly there's a look on the young girl's face that can only be described as a, wow, look what's happening to me look. <laughs> it's a lot of like, awe and whimsy in her performance. 
And apparently the reporter even got like swept up in it after that. Uh, in 1981, Maria's played by uh, Kaori Nakamura. She is a Japanese uh, ballerina who trains in New York. She comes over at 15 speaking no English. Wow. And then is hired by the RWB when she's 20. Wow. And she would stay there for seven years before going to the Pacific Northwest Ballet. She actually just retired in 2014. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So not wow. that long ago. And then around the same time, the free press also gets a complaint about about the nutcracker? About the nutcracker. So it is about ballet in a ballet school and rehearsal. And Drosselmeyer is playing kind of like an eccentric yeah. instructor. And I guess like if you've seen any movie about ballet, the instructors are normally mean. Okay. And I guess there is a point where someone messes up a dance and I think he throws Maria to the ground. Ah. And someone writes in saying, had I wished my young nephews aged five and three to watch a man voluntarily mistreat a woman, I could have simply had them watch television. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Which is an interesting complaint. Yeah. But. I mean, I guess. I guess. Ballet's tough. I Given that I've seen a lot of ballet, like, media yeah. as an adult, like, Black Swan, where it's like, yeah, of course the ballet instructor is mean and abusive. I mean, also, it's 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 in a play. It's a play about, it's like, not, a weird enigmatic. It's not real. I don't know. Some people um, don't understand, like, how to, you know, oh, this thing happened. That must mean it's, it's reality. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a very strange complaint, considering, like, beyond that point, the show is just about Maria having a nice little dance with a guy named Gunther. Yeah. By the 90s, they're starting to consider that maybe, even though it's not set at Christmas, the show could be about Christmas. <laughs> so, like, the d- artistic director makes this comment, like, well, it's set around Maria's birthday, but Maria's birthday might be December 25th. Ah, <laughs> I see. Yep. But, like, it's still going on. It's still selling out. This non-Christmas version is still really popular in Winnipeg. Yeah. Except for uh, one little boy who in 1996 yelled, not again, when another ballerina <laughs> walked on stage <laughs> mid-show. <laughs> That's great. My favorite thing that ever happened in a theater, and Jen and I quoted all the time, my wife and I, is we were at like a Pixar movie or something, and the lights went down in between the previews and the movie starting, and a little kid yelled, I want to go home. <laughs> And that child is me. (laughs) (laughs) Alex at every party. (laughs) So part of the Christmas promotional circuit by the 90s is actually they're bringing ballerinas out to like the malls to talk to the kids. So Evelyn Hart comes by to St. Patel Mall to read part of the Nutcracker to the kids. And they market it as she will stand still long enough to read a story to your children. (laughs) (laughs) And then... By the late 90s, it's still the same production. Uh, they've cast Mary and Louise by a Carrie Suster and Tara Burtwistle, who actually grew up in dance school together and basically were sisters. I just always think it's sweet when there's like a real emotional yeah. connection off the stage That's and nice. on. It's just kind of charming. But by the late 90s, people are starting to think that maybe the production is showing its age a little. Okay. They've been doing it since the 70s. Yeah. It's the same show. It's been 25 years, and they're people at unlike you might see it once and be like, I don't need to go again. Yeah. I've done it. It's over. Or some people want like Christmassy charm to it. Mm -hmm. And what's probably helping that is that more people are being exposed to the Christmas version than they had before. Mm -hmm. When you have like movie adaptations, more like screenings on the TV and stuff. So people know what the actual production is like. And then Winnipeg is doing this kind of weird off-brand nutcracker. Right. 
So they hired the artistic director, John Meehan, to choreograph a new version okay. of the Nutcracker. And this starts in 1998. The RWB attempts to raise a million dollars to support it. Wow. It's choreographed, or it's supposed to be choreographed by John Meehan and uh, a Canadian figure skater, Toller Cranston. They keep performing the old version one last time in 1998, and the marketing line is, thrill one last time to the magic of Maria's 12th birthday. (laughs) So it's a big send-off for the show they've been doing for 25 years. It's the first full-length show they did. Mm -hmm. So they drafted a bunch of Royal Winnipeg Ballet alumni to come back. Um, One of the dancers, Ted Patterson, makes a cameo appearance he also made this big display on the history of the Nutcracker for that show that's on display in the lobby. So there's a whole history of the production outside. They bring in walk-on roles for makers or like local celebrities. At the time, that that's includes nice. like Glenn Murray, um, a Blue Bomber, Chris Walby, Evan Hart comes back, Diane Buck comes back, and David Maroney comes back as Drosselmeyer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when the free press talked to him, um, he said, you're talking to a very tired man. <laughs> he was 60 years old and had not done the role since 1985. I hope they, like, toned it down a little <laughs> for him. They didn't mention that they did. Oh, boy. But they bring in all of these big people that had done it before. And the general vibe of it is that this was a show that people loved within right, the ballet and outside of it. But on the horizon is a new and exciting show that they've never done before. Mm-hmm. So... Andre Lewis, the artistic director by the late 90s now, promised the 1999 1999 ballet would have dancing mice, a tree that grew over the course of the show, prairie settings, and set and costume designs by Brian Peralchuk and Paul Daigle. So when did it? When did they do the first one? Was it 1999? 1999. That's funny because that must be around when I started going. So you've only seen the new version. I've only seen the new version, but I guess to me, since it's always been that way, yeah. I just assumed that it has always been that way. No, I mean, when I was looking into this, I was also surprised to find out there was a period where they did a very different Nutcracker. Can you yeah. imagine if I had gone to that being like, I know Barbie's the Nutcracker. Yeah. <laughs> and then they do that. And I'm like, this is not what that is. This is wrong. But despite being, like, a pretty Winnipeg-based show, it actually premieres in Ottawa, plays in Vancouver, and then comes to Winnipeg to run from December 17th to 27th. They actually bring on uh, two local choreographers, Nina Minon and Galina Yordova, or Yordanova, and they were both dancers with the ballet, and they had been brought on, Yordanova had been brought on to keep on the Russian roots, Mm. and uh, Minon was tasked with making sure the choreography was pleasing to children. It would make them feel included in the show, because the Nutcracker is predominantly a ballet for children, mostly, Mm -hmm. because it's a fairly accessible performance. Right. And they changed the setting from a birthday party to a Christmas Eve party Mm -hmm. at a Canadian house during the Christmas of 1913. So this is the version that most people that have gone recently will be familiar with. Right. They spend about $300,000 on costumes, including 175 costumes for Nutcracker mice, Snowflakes, Mounties, oh. and Grenadiers, and then the ballerinas. And then the story is basically the original, right? It's mm-hmm. this girl called Clara who develops a crush on Drosselmeyer's nephew. He's her godfather. Uh, Drosselmeyer is her godfather. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's not the mean <laughs> ballet instructor. Yeah. She doesn't develop a crush on her godfather. No, that's what, that's what I was just clarifying <laughs> yeah. there. And uh, Evelyn Hart no longer plays the sister Louise. She plays um, Aunt Josephine, who has a fiancé named Edward. Okay. So that's the Gunther role. Is she, um, is she the really, like, the one in the orange dress who's, like, the kind of, like, I don't know, like, prima donna of the night? Yeah. She's like, oh. Yeah. 
That's Josephine. Yeah. So that was initially played by Evelyn Hart. Cool. And there is this sort of big Canadian flair to it. So at the opening sequence, there's this hockey scene. And then inside of the house, there's actually pictures of the founders of the ballet itself, uh, Gwyneth Lloyd and Betty Ferrali. And they also have stuff like a Hudson's Bay Point blanket. This inexplicably makes the reviews for years. Everyone's like, this ballet has a point blanket in it. (laughs) People love those blankets. Apparently. It comes up a lot. Like, every review is just like, remember the blanket, though? I mean, isn't everyone just saving up to eventually get a Hudson's Bay blanket? Yeah. (laughs) So, Andre Lewis had been inspired by the show after seeing a production in Holland, where the ballet, The Nutcracker, was set in Holland itself. And he was like, we can do that with Winnipeg. Why not? Yeah. So, they come back. uh, They bring in a bunch of people to work on it, local figures. And then the second act is choreographed to be kind of a design or a tribute to Winnipeg's multicultural heritage. Mm Mm-hmm. In the original show itself, there's, I believe there's like a Chinese dance or something like that. I can't remember what the names of the songs are anymore, but they I tend to be. It, I think it's the Oriental dance, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> they tend to be based a lot more in like racial stereotypes because it's a show written in the 1890s. Yeah. In Russia. So there's a lot of playing on like the exotic places, but. Yeah. They try and pivot that in Winnipeg to be about sort of the different cultures in the city itself. Mm-hmm. And though it's not deliberately stated, the set is pretty clearly Winnipeg. Right. Because they based the home on a house on Wellington Crescent owned by the Richardson family. Really? That's yeah. so cool. It is actually as a tribute to a patron of the RWB, uh, Kathleen Richardson. They do huh. that deliberately. Hmm. And then they actually replicate uh, old like ads and Eaton's to make the costumes. They're basing it off of like things people in Winnipeg wore at the oh, time. How cool. Oh, to be a historian working on that project. <laughs> it's just hours going through old catalogs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There are some uh, negative reviews for the show in Ottawa. One calls it a choreographic lemon. I don't know what that means either. But it sells out in Ottawa. 90% of tickets sell in Vancouver, and most people like it. I mean, I feel that this is often the case with culture, that, like, people who, like, know ballet or, like, know the opera are like, this is terrible, and the general public Mm -hmm. is like, there was nice dancing, I loved it. They did some cool jumps, and I've never seen people jump like that before. Yeah, exactly. Genuinely, one dad remarked his daughter stayed awake the entire show, and he was amazed by it. His daughter was (laughs) five, and this is a miracle in his eyes. (laughs) So for the most part, it's well-received by people. And um, they also introduce the bear. Of course. Um, Can I tell you about my relationship to the bear? You, I, you didn't know you had one, yeah. <laughs> not, not a super deep. <laughs> I have an emotional connection with the bear. No, but I remember one of the first times I went to um, the Nutcracker, they were selling like stuffed versions yeah. of it. And um, I was there with my mom, who is not or was not well known for buying things for us. <laughs> and I remember looking at it and being like, can I get it? And she was like, well, let's see how much it is. And I think I looked at it and it was like $10. And I was like, oh, there's no way. And then she was like, okay. And so I got that stuffed bear. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I still have it. I mean, I would be surprised if you threw that out. Yeah. (laughs) So the bear is a big hit, obviously. Mm -hmm. Apparently you have a close relationship. (laughs) (laughs) What did you call your bear? Royale. I was not, (laughs) not very creative with that, apparently. (laughs) But the bear makes an appearance at McNally Robinson, and they start making these teddy bears based on the bear that you got. Mm. And the bear comes back time and time again, because it's a pretty popular character by this point. I mean, like, what kid's not going to be like, it's of a course. teddy bear, and it's big. It's a nice little, like, comic relief thing, too, between, like, yeah. dancing for children, right? Totally. 
And then by 2000, they brought back the bear. Uh, the free press is complaining the audience won't stop eating candy during the show. <laughs> They're apparently unwrapping it constantly. <laughs> but they also bring in uh, Lindor Reynolds, a local columnist in Winnipeg, to be a visiting aunt. Okay. So this is one of these sort of like earlier walk-on roles you get in the ballet. Right. So we have like the cameos in the finale of the old version, mm-hmm. and then they're starting to bring people back into this one. So we have this visiting aunt who comes on, and she had assumed that her role is going to be to just kind of stand on stage and then walk off stage. And then she got to rehearsal and realized she would be forced to like interact with the cast and the scenery and like move around. <laughs> and she looked so overwhelmed, the 12-year-old girl playing Clara asked if she knew what she was doing. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that would be devastating for a 12-year-old to ask you if you know what you're doing. <laughs> Like, she checked in to make sure she knew where she was going. And then they start casting children to play the mice mm-hmm. in 2001, which I remember being very cute when I saw it. Yes, it's very sweet. Uh, they need kids with no dance experience, I think, specifically to make it cuter. I assume it's yeah. just fun to watch kids kind of, like, toddle around to do the like, best. There's always, like, one grown-up polar bear who's definitely, like, their dance instructor who's like, okay, <laughs> keep going, way. keep going. <laughs> okay, now throw up the snow. Don't try and find your mom. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Have, have either of you been to, like, a little kid's dance recital? It's yes, like, they're so uh, funny. I have been the little kid at the dance yeah, recital. There you go, so, yeah, yeah. No, my sister danced for her entire life, and now my little niece does yeah. as well. And, like, but because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to, like, go. So I get these, like, cell phone videos of, like, <laughs> and it's, like, you see, like, the, it's that classic, like, the teacher, like, standing off to the yes. side. And, like, two of them are just staring at the teacher. And, like, <laughs> it's adorable. Yeah. It's always very funny to watch kids perform on stage. Yeah. Always a delight. But then they also have a contest to allow kids to name the bear. Ah. The bear has a name. Oh, does the bear have an actual name? Do you know what it, so you don't know what it is? My bear is named Royale, and that's all I know. Uh, the bear is named Filbert. Filbert? Yeah. <laughs> a name children picked. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> so they do like a bunch of variations over the years. They have, like, more multicultural shows. They bring in local dance groups and guest stars. But there is one really strange guest star who doesn't appear on stage but appears at the ballet with his uh, fiance Catherine Refford. And they perform a set of Christmas songs before the production begins. Refford may be known. She's uh, performed at MTC and Rainbow Stage. She was in the musical Strike at Rainbow Stage. And she also had trained classically with the RWB. I'm dropping all this because I'm hoping that Alex might know who fiance is. Circa 2003. It's a story I think we've talked about before. I don't think so. It's Jeff Goldblum. What? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Jeff. Yeah, he was totally engaged to a Winnipeg dancer. Yeah. Oh. So Jeff Goldblum comes to Winnipeg. He and his fiance are meeting her family and her friends, and they go to the RWB where she trained, mm-hmm. and they do a set of Christmas songs together before the show. Oh. Yeah. That's nice. They don't wind up actually getting married, but it's kind of strange to imagine like going to the ballet and just seeing Jeff Goldblum circa the early 2000s. Like He's not <laughs> a small-scale celebrity at that point. I saw Jeff Goldblum one time. Right, yeah, you did. Um, Outside of the AGO in Toronto, yeah. which seems like a more like a place where you would see Jeff Goldblum. Maybe. And also, he wasn't like actively performing, I assume. No, he was just going to the art gallery. <laughs> he was just having a normal day. Yeah. You know, life finds a way. Yeah. Is that Jeff Goldblum? Yeah, that yep. is. Yeah. That is. Yeah, yeah. It's Jurassic Park. <laughs> It'd be embarrassing if it ha- if it wasn't. <laughs> I know, if it was like, uh, no, Laura Dern said that in Jurassic yeah. Park. Nick, oh. Get it together, God. I love Jurassic Park. I have it on Laserdisc. 
Oh wow! On laser disc. <laughs> wow. are, you, are you familiar with the laser disc technology? No. <laughs> Just I mean, before DVD. I'm vaguely familiar with laser disc. It's it's a size of a record. It looks like a CD, a DVD. Like you have to flip it over halfway through. Or with Jurassic Park, it's a two disc. Oh wow! Because it's so long, so you're like three, four sides flipping this thing over. Um, let me tell you though, Jurassic Park on laser, it still looks good. Like the, All right. it looks good. The sound is good. It looks good. Like it's no, it's no, you know, HD or anything. Do you, you know? still have like a player to? to I play sure that? do. Incredible. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, if you look just past Sabrina there, there behind you in all the record shelves, oh. there's a bunch of laser discs as well along the bottom. Um, but yeah, you see the Star Wars laser disc there poking out. But huh. yeah, oh yeah, I got a good selection. Nice. That's neat. I haven't watched them in years, but I still. So if Jurassic Park is two discs, how long would like Titanic be? Because Titanic comes in two VHS boxes. Yeah, I don't have uh, Titanic what? on laser, but maybe <laughs> maybe I did because some of those are my sisters as well. So I've got like a couple of Disney, like Peter Pan and, oh, and cool. Little Mermaid and stuff like that. But yeah. I Actually, know. I can tie it back to the episode because Please. the ballet does <laughs> the Nutcracker until 2006 when it does Peter Pan. Oh. Yeah, they do a Peter Pan as ballet, and then they obviously bring the Nutcracker back the year later because people want it back. But they do make uh, some uh, changes to the staging. Notably, they replace uh, the flying bats with a group of flying angels. I don't remember the flying <laughs> bats. The flying bats were a little too scary. Aww. And they also give Drosselmeyer some more scenes than he had had before. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, like, he's quite present. Yeah, at one point there's a reviewer that complains that he's doing too many dances. Oh. <laughs> so I don't think you can win with that. No. They make another like really small change around 2009. So normally they have a 12-year-old playing Clara in the first half, and then the second half she's dreaming she's an adult. Yeah. So they're just played by an adult ballerina, especially because the dances in the second half are more complex. Mm-hmm. And then in the 2009 version, they make it an adult both at the start and afterwards. Okay. They say it's mostly because of touring constraints, because it's hard to tour with oh, 12-year-olds. Yeah, I guess so. It's very difficult, and there's sort of limitations with that. And it was a bonus for the person who was playing Clara, because you can warm up before doing the really difficult dance sequences. Yeah. But then they bring they reverse the change in 2010. They only do it for yeah. a year. I guess that would be hard to cast someone who would be convincing in both of those. Yeah. Like, if she's still meant to be fairly like, young in the Young beginning. and experienced, and yeah. like can't really dance, and then she becomes this like adult woman who can yeah. dance. So again, it's still a child to this day yeah but they did a little experiment one year where it wasn't huh. and this has been like a staple of the ballet for about 49 years now yeah which is incredible. remarkable so next year it'll be 50 and i assume that'll be probably a thing could have timed it for next year i'd be like it's the 50th oh yeah <laughs> but here we <laughs> are the episode <laughs> we're done <laughs> So yeah, you just listen to it next year, too. <laughs> you can come back. We're still here. Uh, what the show is really known for, though, is walk-on roles. Mm. I think that's always kind of the big thing. And the Nutcracker works really well for it, given that it opens with a big party scene. You can sort of right. throw people in as an extra in the background. It's a fun surprise. And they get, like, a variety every year. Do you remember? Did you ever see any of the walk-on roles? No, I don't know who anyone is, though, is the thing. Yeah, I don't know why I would be like, Alex will know who people are. She'll recognize a face. <laughs> I'm the least culturally aware human, so. I, I was amazed you knew Jurassic Park just now. Have you seen Jurassic Park? I saw Jurassic Park last year. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for those who know what Winnipeg sort of celebrities look like, they ring on a couple every year and it's normally a pretty exciting thing has ace burpee been in it i assume so i mean if not get on it <laughs> so i know that in 2015 they invited 
Um, about 15 figures, including uh, Doug Spears with the Winnipeg Free Press, uh, weather specialist Colleen Brady, Mayor Bowman, and Sierra Noble. How do we get invited? I want to I want to be an address. <laughs> Interestingly, Alex, I've added um, a note here saying if anyone would like us to be a walk-on role in the ballet, we will do it. I would look so cute in one of those costumes. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. I love that you're like, I'll be cute. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be good. Okay. Let me on the ballet. I did do 10 years of dancing. It's been a long time. Alex, what kind of dance did you do? I did, um, okay, I did jazz, tap, and modern. Okay. I didn't do ballet. <laughs> I don't think they make any of the walk-on roles do like a pirouette or something. No, probably not. That would be a big ask. And also very weird to watch like Mayor Bowman walk on stage. Yeah. Mayor Bowman, would, we need you to go that. on point. Uh <laughs> We've got your little point shoes here. Yeah. So I've prepared a, a non-comprehensive list of some people who've appeared in the show because okay. I do find the list of people they get really interesting. They have some members of the Crash Test Dummies. Oh, fun. Uh, the owners of Generate Cakes. Miss Lonely Hearts comes on. Wob Canoe. Oh. Adam Beach. Sierra Noble. Nick made a music video for her recently, which you yeah, should watch. Cool. I know Sierra. She's cool. I made an animated music video for her. It's really neat. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> They also bring on Jets players like Jacob Truba and Mark Shifley, Fred Penner, and then uh, Maurice Leggett, a Blue Bomber, comes on to do a little walk-on role as well. Nice. So it's very cute. And if the ballet does want local podcasters with a <laughs> modest following, we're available? Very available. <laughs> we're desperate to be in the ballet. <laughs> I didn't know it was an option before today. <laughs> We're really going to put our, put it out there. Yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I have this worry because if you know Sabrina, you know that she's a little, uh, a bit of a calamity Jane. <laughs> so I just imagine you like coming out to do your walk on and you like slip and like the whole stage falls down. And, like, it's like dominoes. All yeah. the dancers fall over. I like knock everyone down. I tear a curtain off the rock. <laughs> no, I'll keep my hands to my sides and I'll walk very slowly. <laughs> It'll be worrying and weird to watch, but I won't fall. <laughs> It'll be exciting. What's going to happen? Will she fall? Yeah. <laughs> and then the news the next day, local podcaster ruins Winnipeg <laughs> holiday tradition. I'd <laughs> love to see that. Just think of what could happen if you let us be in your ballet. Subtitle, Alex was really cute in that dress. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, do you want to be in it with us? Uh, I'll watch. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my little Christmas story. I thought we'd walk through a kind of a Winnipeg tradition over the years that and see really how it's changed. Yeah, I thought you'd like it as someone who's been to yeah. the ballet more than once. I, I like, and that's the only ballet I've really been to. Yeah, I think it is for me too. I, I did in researching the episode. Got so like, I should go back. I bought myself tickets to go see the show. Yeah, that's it's running fun. from December eighteenth to twenty eighth this year. If anyone else wants to go, yeah, you should go if you haven't been. It's really cute. It's very sweet. Um, very Maybe Christmas-y. we'll be in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be a little late to cast us for this year. I think the episode also comes out on December 15th. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but maybe next Cutting year. it a little tight there. <laughs> We're going to push for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we like the like McElroy brothers. They'll be in Trolls. We'll be in the ballet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you have not Christmas We're going to manifest this. <laughs> By just begging repeatedly. Yeah. Until... Is that how manifesting works? <laughs> I'm going to make a vision board. Yeah. <laughs> it's just you in a cute dress. <laughs> I'm going to like cut out a dress from a magazine and just paste it over myself. <laughs> At what point do you look like your own stalker in a Lifetime movie? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so speaking of nice dresses, <laughs> there's my segue. Um, yeah, so I went on a very different uh, path in my in my um, holiday stories this yeah. year. What I've done is I've made a little tour for us through time. Ooh. If you um, found yourself on New Year's Eve in Winnipeg, um, I'm going to tell you what you might spend your evening doing oh, throughout fun. our history. Does any of it involve sitting in my mom's basement playing King's Cup with my friends? Let me check my notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that one's not on here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I I didn't go that far into history, though. So if I had gone up to, like, you know, 2011, I might have gone. <laughs> that. that would be around the right time for that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, King's Cup. It's not a fun game. Never a good idea. That's the spinoff podcast, The Secret History of Sabrina's Basement. <laughs> It's seen many things. <laughs> uh, the things done in our parents' basements. <laughs> but it, no New Year's parties, apparently. Inappropriate. <laughs> I, I definitely had some some parties in my parents' basements. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, my, my basement is not. It's like a concrete floor. It is not suitable no. for any kind <laughs> of You did parties. think it was haunted. I did think our basement was haunted. I think I told that story on you our did, Halloween yeah. one already. Um, yeah, in any case, I've started here. Hearing... Take us out of our parents' basements, I've please. I'm taking us out of our parents' basements. We're going back through time instead to the YMCA. <laughs> in 1891, they had a New Year's Eve party with only men invited, though. So, oh. Nick, you can go to this one. We're banned. Sweet. Where do um, we go, then? Oh, so we might go instead to the Manitoba Hotel. Okay. Which opened on New Year's Eve in 1891 with a dazzling opening party. Oh, so I'm going to read a few quotes here. It was more than a success. It was a thing of beauty and a joy forever. Nothing approaching it has ever been witnessed in the Northwest, and we question if any affair of the kind ever held west of Chicago has rivaled it in brilliancy and magnificence. Wow. So a pretty amazing party. For Someone, a hotel, too? <laughs> yes. This brand new hotel apparently was beautiful. Um Someone was overheard to have said, why, I could never have believed that Winnipeg had so many beautiful women and handsome men. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair. Um, they said, to either describe it or enthuse on the event, one must have been a participator. He must have cantered over the well-waxed floor with a sylph-like partner whose step is as light as a mountain row. Doe. That must have been doe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so there was a ball with dancing and music. Um, the tables groaned under the weight of the uh, oh, banquet, wow. which was put out. Apparently, everyone was in really high spirits. Um, one woman's train was torn by a clumsy dancer. Um, and apparently, she just cheerfully went to the dressing room and pinned it up and came back out to dance some more. All right. Why so, not? Sounds like a great party. That seems um, like a risk you take when you wear a dress with a train yeah, onto a dance floor. Yeah, maybe don't wear that to dancing, actually. <laughs> You've got no one but yourself to blame, woman from 1891. <laughs> I hope you feel sorry. <laughs> Um, if you're wondering why you haven't seen this beautiful hotel, um, in classic 19th century fashion, the hotel burned down just nine years later. <laughs> oh, no! And was reduced to a pile of rubble. Oh, no. Yep. That's a shame. Um, in 1903, um, according to the papers, the most popular activity seems to have been just getting drunk on the street. At least if we are to take into account the number of complaints about... <laughs> Young and not so young men imbibing and harassing young women. I was going to say, hell yeah, until that last part. Yeah, then, no. Gross. Sa that was my same reaction to that article. I was like, yeah, that sounds like yeah. a great time. Wait, no, I take no. it back. 
Um, now, if you rang in 1922 by giving birth, if you gave birth right at midnight, you would be in luck because for your new baby, you would be given, thanks to the Winnipeg Tribune and its advertisers, a $5 gold piece. Um, That's what every new mother wants. <laughs> a white enameled bassinet from Sterling Furniture Co. That okay. one's a, a little more useful. Yeah. I mean, $5 is nice. Yeah. Um, a free pass for um, the mother and father to the Capitol Theater. Ooh. A box of chocolates. Um, free booties for the baby. A selection of children's records. Free milk for a year from City Dairy Unlimited. And last but not least, one ton of coal. <laughs> I you gotta heat your home, I guess. Gotta heat your home. I mean, yeah, I guess, like, the New Year's baby was kind of, like, a big thing. I it remember was a big thing. At the Morris Museum, they had a couple of, like, advertisements about, like, what the New Year's baby could win in Morris, the local hospital. I remember the prizes being yeah. that elaborate. So but... I don't, yeah, I don't know if it was this elaborate every year. I imagine often there was a little giveaway for the first baby. Or I sometimes mean, there's just, like, spreads of photos of, like, all these babies born on New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also in 1922, the Tribune reminds you that it is against the law to carry liquor unless you have a prescription. Of course. In 1922. <laughs> this is temperance times. Yes. But that if you don't put yourself in the police limelight and if you simply remain a quiet, passive person, you can carry a flask on your hip. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tribune. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because they were very anti-liquor. Like, they were pretty pro-prohibition, right? Yeah. So it's an odd article. But it's like, shh, we got this for you. I think they're maybe complaining about it a little bit, actually, that the police are, like, too lax and not searching uh, people. They're like, do your job. We'll tell people how to get around yeah. it to annoy you into doing your job. Yeah. Well, it was this odd thing where, like, so it wasn't actually illegal to drink in your home. Right, yes. It was just illegal to buy liquor yeah or like have a bar yeah so people often got arrested on new year's eve taking liquor from their house to another house <laughs> and so they'd have to they'd like go before the court and they'd have to be like no i was just moving it from one house to another <laughs> i wasn't drinking publicly um in 1923 a delightful surprise party uh was held where a number of friends arranged a new year's dance in honor of miss constance Wah. um i really like these old papers when they have like the society page oh, they yeah. often just like list people's individual parties yep um there was another on roslyn road held by mrs walter moss at which the large living rooms were decorated with yuletide favors and a music room arranged for dancing oh um now the manitoba hotel of course has burnt down but the fort gary hotel is there right yes <laughs> the new party hotspot. yes <laughs> so and this i thought was a really lovely description a scene fittingly brilliant to mark the close of an exceptionally gay year was enacted at the Fort Gary Hotel Monday evening when throngs of merrymakers gathered to dance the old year out and the new year in. Masses of crimson and green throughout the entire main floor. Myriads of rainbow lights twinkled from the dark green branches of the floor, forest slender evergreen trees which flanked the corners of the rotunda, while countless wreaths of holly and silver were festooned effectively against the marble white of the walls. Um, hundreds of Christmas bells suspend from, uh, the electrollers rang with their merry tidings. Um, and as the clock marked the hour of midnight and the old year trembled on the threshold of the past and the present, the lights were dimmed and thousands of merry voices combined with the echo of whistles and bells greeted the dawn of the new year. Oh, that's so, sweet. What that a good description really nice. of a party. Yeah. 
the old Tribune descriptions of New Year's parties are sometimes very flowery. I can see that. They're often very, like, sentimental around the New Year, which I think is quite sweet. Um, But there were some 800 guests at that party. Oh, wow. Many of which are listed by name. It's like a full page list. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, like, the society pages are like, here's every person that came to this. Wow, that's a lot of people. You didn't come to this party, you loser. (laughs) Look at all these people who were there. Um... In the kind of later 20s and in the 30s, it became quite common for movie theaters to have like a midnight showing on New Year's oh. Eve of a popular or new movie, which is kind of like now we often have the like Christmas premiere. Hey? Yeah. Um, so in 1935, you could go to the Metropolitan Theater at midnight and see the Marx Brothers in A Night at the Opera. At the Gaiety, you could see Ted Healy and his Three Stooges or at the Orpheum, you could see Two Fisted. I don't huh. know what that's about. I'm going to guess there's fighting involved. <laughs> I think you're probably right. <laughs> um, in 1936, the walker did one better. You could go see Maid of the Mountains at the walker, then go across the street to dance at the Marlboro Hotel. Oh, nice. Um, or if you were lucky enough to be invited to Miss Jocelyn McWilliams' party, Ooh. her parents threw a party for her, at which tall lighted Christmas trees glittering with their tinsel decorations... Uh, will flank around the stairway in a ha- in a large hall, and holly and wreathing will be festooned about the walls and in the windows. Dancing will pl- take place in the drawing room and in the hall. The library will be used for sitting out in the interval between dances. I think it's very fun that they had it so specifically planned <laughs> out. So scheduled. It's kind of yes. like your ideal party. Is that like there's a schedule for events, and then you can just go home? <laughs> um, But also, I love that there's like a sitting down room. A quiet room for Alex to go and read. Can we have that at, at any New Year's party we have? <laughs> I'd like to know how to make my mother throw a party for me that's so good the free press or the Tribune reports on it. Um, they also reported on what they wore. Wow. Do you want to hear what Miss Jocelyn McWilliams wore? Absolutely, I do. She wore a gown of cloud blue taffeta en princesse, dotted all over with dewdrop rhinestones. The skirt, which reaches to the floor, shows a lower flare, and the bodice is sleeveless with V-shaped neckline. Hmm. So, I guess have rich parents is... yeah. Can and probably I, a bigger house. Can I tell you what Two Fisted is about? I yes! It out. <laughs> a fast-talking boxing manager and the somewhat <laughs> hapless fighter he manages happen to run into a young man who was a good prize fighter in his day, but is now out of the sport and has a drinking problem. <laughs> they decide to train him for a big match, and in the process find themselves involved in romance, shady characters... And a possible kidnapping. Oh. oh, that actually does sound like a fun midnight show to go yeah. see. Yeah, go see that. Yeah, ah, uh, pre-code movies. <laughs> and there's an adorable little boy in a sailor suit on on the poster, so you can't go wrong. Is he with the that. is he the drunk wrestler? Or I don't know. He's holding hands with like a maid and a butler and a couple, <laughs> and like they're all walking in a line. I don't know. It looks pretty pretty interesting. Creepy. Um, Sabrina, do you want to explain what pre-code means? Yeah, as I make that joke, uh. Prior to around 19, the late 1930s, movies were kind of a free-for-all. Post yeah. the 1930s, there's the Hays Code, which really restricts what movies can depict. So stuff like uh, sex, drinking, drug use, even stuff like toilets. <laughs> Jeez. It's skewed for movies. You cannot put them in there. Or it's going to be a fight with the it is code office. listed as approved. Oh, oh interesting. Interesting. Because I guess in the spot on IMDb where it would normally have a rating, it just says approved. Oh, oh. so maybe it was... Uh post haze code yeah. i don't know yeah, it's no. i think around 19 
1933 to 1936 is kind of that gray area yeah. but movies around that period are just wild yes, where you see like some... may west inviting people up to her and being like come up and see me sometime with that weird yeah. shoulder wiggle <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange era for movies yeah um yeah in the so that was 1936 in the late 1930s new years are significantly less happy beginning in 1939 what Oh, because the of, wartime? Because of things the are bad? Things are bad. And the New Year's celebrations are not so fun. Yeah. Um, in 1945, um, the refrain is basically, here's hoping it's happy. Oh, God. <laughs> so they're about 11 months out here from the end of the war. And they're just like, God. And they, people are glad to say farewell to a tired, beaten, and bewildered old year. I wonder what that feels like. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> So, um, in 1945, some people did go dancing or to shows, mm. um, I think as people do every year when it's New Year's. Yeah, I'm assuming even during wartime, people were still going out, For just sure. not quite like the Yeah, but other people, um, it says other people did go to midnight services in church instead, yeah. though, which also happened every year, I should yeah. say. Like, some people go and spend New Year's Eve in church any, any year. And some people drink from flats on the street. Exactly. Um, so there was the customary happy shouting and blowing of whistles and car horns as the new year peaked around the corner, but there was also a sober note in the festivities. The old year hadn't been too considerate of those who gave it a rousing welcome last year. In every heart, there was the wish that the new year might live up to the hopes of those who cheered its birth. Yeah, so rather a sad new year greeting there. But 1946 is a hell of a new year. (laughs) I guess, yeah, war's over, let's cut loose, and people are coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah, so people are coming back. Um, all but 12,000 of Canada's troops had made it home by New Year's oh, Eve. Oh, wow. Um, and there had been about, at the peak of the Second World War, there had been about 285,000 Canadian soldiers. Oh, wow, soldiers. so most, so, yeah. most of the boys are back in town. Yes. and so, like, a lot of those had come back, <laughs> yeah. like, previously, yeah. but, um... Yeah, so the boys are back in town. Um, Dance floors and entertainment centers were filled to capacity as Winnipeg welcomed its first peacetime New Year's since 1939. Taxi cabs, almost impossible to get. There was tons of traffic everywhere. Um, 5,000 people were at the Civic Auditorium, 2,000 at the Royal Alexandra. The Fort Geary Hotel and apparently all of Chinatown were similarly just packed with people. So, of course, there are many returned soldiers. Um, but also many people came in from rural areas to celebrate in the city. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that would be kind of fun. Hey, you'd go come in to see the first... you get dressed up. Yeah, Yeah. come in and see the first peacetime New Year's and maybe stay overnight at the hotel or what have you. Yeah, why not? Yeah, there's actually often advertisements for, um, you know, come to this New Year's party and there's also, like, a package deal to stay in the Uh, hotel overnight. Of course, of course, Um, though people weren't as, um diligent about drunk driving in those days either unfortunately (laughs) no so for 1948 i've got a little uh spotlight on mid-century cooking which we know is always delightful how much gelatin is involved approximately (laughs) this this one no gelatin in this one incredibly the dish of the year was stuffed celery um okay which appeals to the palate when a small nibble of something is all that is desired and for some reason they've got a recipe for 60 to 70 people a small nibble yeah (laughs) or there is also alternatively a um recipe for a chip dip made with cottage cheese and worcestershire sauce huh 
What do you stuff the celery with is my big question. I'm pretty sure it's just like, you know when you like get celery and you put cream cheese on it? Yeah, it's just I that. Think, I think it's just that. I'm shocked that it involved like anchovies or gelatin because I feel like most mid-century things are like, take your lemon jello, fill it with fish. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got a worse recipe later. Just wait. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, in 1949, um, there was a midnight show at the Bijou. Um, doors opened at midnight for the Wolf Hunters. Nice. I go see the Wolf Hunters at midnight. That sounds like it rules. Um, or if the Wolf Hunters is a little too exciting, you might go to the Highwayman for a real old time sing song. <laughs> that sounds so much more charming. Yeah, with a special Highwayman turkey turkey dinner for all. Okay. Very um, different energies to those two events. There's also a ballroom, New Year's Eve dance, and uh, Don Carlos and his 11-piece orchestra at the casino. Oh, cool. Yeah, so Don Carlos was um, and his and his um, orchestra were super famous in Winnipeg in kind of the mid-century. Yeah. I feel like I see their, like, performing postcards all, all over the arcade. Yeah. yeah, they're everywhere. Um. It also became pretty common at this point for radio stations to have their own thing. I guess mm -hmm. if you were having a party, you could just like turn on the radio yep. and listen. So CJOB prints a formal invitation to Mr. and Mrs. Winnipeg. Oh. Radio station CJOB cordially extends an invitation to all its friends to attend their dancing party on New Year's Eve. Time, 12 midnight to 6 a.m. That's a long party. <laughs> Place 1340 on your dial. Oh. <laughs> and dresses informal. That's really cute. I think that's very cute. I cannot imagine staying up from midnight to 6 a.m. Uh, that's a lot of dancing. I would be so tired. <laughs> I'm someone that likes going out and dancing. Yeah, I'd be gone by 1230. <laughs> so neither oh. of you have ever like seen the sun come up, like pulled an all-nighter type of thing? Oh, yeah, a lot of times. Okay. I, uh, I am just now in no. my late 20s and not 18. <laughs> I mean, I've stayed up. I don't know that I've stayed up all night. I've stayed up till maybe 4 a.m., never l late enough to see the sun. I, I pulled a lot of all-nighters, especially in like the early days of university when I hadn't quite figured out my workload yet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And most of mine have been like that, where it wasn't a fun thing. Though also at like high school sleepovers, we were almost yes. always up to see the sunrise. Yeah. Um, I have a delicate constitution. You get sick very easily. I know this. I think if you pulled an all-nighter, you might perish. <laughs> I think I would. Um, my great aunt Betty had this phrase where she would, if you didn't look well, she'd say, oh, you're wilting. And I often, <laughs> I often feel that way if I haven't slept well. I'm like, I'm wilting. <laughs> now, let's say we're in 1951, about to spend yeah. a good New Year's Eve. Um, Sabrina, would you rather scream than laugh? <laughs> I mean, probably, yeah. Are you looking for thrills extraordinary? Always. Um, do you want to bring the new year in with chills and thrills galore? <laughs> it really depends on what those chills and thrills are. <laughs> well, then I suggest that you take in the best chiller diller, chiller diller, I'm reading that right, <laughs> ever to be presented on a screen at uh, the Garrick's Midnight Show, New Year's Eve, Monday, December 31st. Fun, screams, laughs, terror. Oh. Guaranteed with The Strange Door with Boris Karloff. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there, in Futurama, they do a Twilight Zone parody called The Spooky Door. <laughs> so this is that. I mean, I'd go. Yeah. I'd absolutely go see a weird Boris Karloff movie. I, my, I love, though, would you rather scream than laugh as the first like, pitch here? 
you really need to be more specific yeah. about how I'm screaming or how I'm <laughs> laughing. <laughs> um, in 1953, there is a New Year's Eve frolic with square dancing, waltzes, and foxtrots. That sounds much different than laughing and screaming. Yeah. This sounds much more like what I'd expect 1950s Winnipeg to have. <laughs> Is it also at, like, a legion or community hall? It is the Past Chiefs Association of the Sons of Scotland annual dance. So, yeah, yeah you're right on there. Um, in 1956, there's a New Year's Eve frolic at the Royal Alexandra Hotel in aid of Hungarian relief with Hungarian musicians and special attractions of Hungarian dancers in national costume. Hmm. And what I find interesting about this one is they also say all European groups who may wish to attend in national dress are invited. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it does sound fun if you showed up and people were all in sort of traditional dress. And then doing fun little dances. Yeah. Having a frolic. Yeah. Um, the same year, this is actually not in Winnipeg, but the Tribune runs a like several page spread on it for some reason. Okay. United Church members prove a dry New Year's Eve, not be dull. Is this about the church not drinking? Yeah. <laughs> wow, what fun. Wow. Um, Multiple pages on this? Yeah. With like big old photos. All right. Um. <laughs> in the basement of the Metropolitan United Church in London, Ontario, they threw a big old non-drinking party for New Year's Eve. I'm happy for them. That seems like a, lo a lot of paper time to dedicate to a non-Winnipeg event. It does, and I don't understand. <laughs> An elder who had served communion for half a century puckered his lined face in a slow grin as he watched enthusiastic dancers bursting balloons with their feet as they do -do their partners. You know, he said cheerfully, I'll bet some of my old cronies are turning in their graves tonight. <laughs> Square dancing in the church? Not dancing in the church basement. <laughs> um, I've got another spotlight on mid-century cooking here. I cannot with, wait. This is my much grosser recipe. Okay. Yes. So let's get some boiled ham. Okay. All right imagine we're preparing for our new year's party of course and we're boiling some ham we're boiling some ham house smells great yep gonna you know cut it into yep. some nice slices we got some nice sliced up boiled ham we're gonna spread some mustard on that okay okay like we're spreading it on toast is that kind of the... exactly yeah. yep then we're gonna get some asparagus but the canned kind oh okay canned not fresh no 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 no, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> come on um we're gonna get some canned asparagus and we're gonna wrap the ham with the mustard around the asparagus. <laughs> oh no. I'm just picturing it and I don't like the mental picture. Just ham wrapped around <laughs> asparagus. It's not fun. No. Okay, I'd like you to guess what sauce you would put on that. Ooh. I mean, like a hollandaise? It is a hollandaise. <laughs> <laughs> I know my mid-century cooking. Spot on. Well done. It's always something kind of weird. So... You show up at a party and that's what you got. I, I <laughs> ham, mustard, asparagus, and hollandaise. Yeah. It's a I mean, lot, I'd, it's a I'd lot eat of, it. It's a lot of flavors dancing around there. Yeah. It always is, isn't it? It sure is. Lots of lots of boiled and canned and uh, real soggy. <laughs> that does sound soggy. It just sounds wet, doesn't it? It's yeah. all it's all a little more liquidy than I want my like appetizer to be. And probably hard to eat, like as a New Year's finger food, is a ham wrap. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe like, you just like, walk around with, like, meat hands all night? Do you, <laughs> like, you stick one on each finger and, like, nibble them? <laughs> oh, for roll-up style. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or do you think you, like, maybe you cut them down to little, like, pig in blanket size? 
Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. Um, now, the next year, let's say, Sabrina, that you are really dead set on seeing both the Wagon Masters and Glenn Frayne and his buckaroos. That's always the dilemma I face on New Year's. Here's the problem. <laughs> the party at the Pattersons is sold out. Oh, no. And that's where they're playing. But you're in luck. If you go to the Normandy, it's the same two groups, but they swapped with a 20-minute time break in between them. I guess they oh. were the, like, go-to bands that Just bouncing yeah. around. Busy night for those yep. bands. Good for them. Um, also, unfortunately, that same night, um, the delegates of the Canadian University Press Conference went out to celebrate New Year's Eve. Uh, they were visiting Winnipeg, and they unfortunately came home to find that their motel rooms had been broken into. Oh, no. And cash, a camera, and expensive watch had been taken. Ring in the new year right. It's one way to ring it in. Um, now, let's say that it's the 1960s. Yeah. Um, you'd like to celebrate New Year's Eve, but you're really only interested in celebrating it with people who have the same hobbies as you. Yes. You are in luck because the Winnipeg Badminton Club, the Granite Curling Club, the Winnipeg Squash Rackets, the Winnipeg Ski Club, and the Winnipeg Yacht Club all had parties only for their members. Um, I actually was, until recently, a member of the Granite Curling there Club. There you go. You could have gone to the Just Curling Club New that Year's Eve party. The Granite's cool. That would have been a fun New Year's party. And yeah. curlers can party. Okay. <laughs> You've never been to a Bonspiel, Alex. I've never. <laughs> I have never been to a Bonspiel. Um, I was looking through. There was one year where they listed, like, all the important events in Winnipeg from this year. And one of them was, like, the Bonspiel opens. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a huge thing. Curling is big, Alex. All right. <laughs> uh, genuinely, so when I first started curling, I was just kind of thrown onto a team, and some of the people I curled with would go like play in Morris sometimes. Yeah. And they had gone out for a bonspiel once, and they, I think, curled the first day, partied so hard they couldn't curl the rest of the weekend. <laughs> Incredible. And like, how much? Like. How much energy do you need to curl? More than you would think. Okay, fair enough. I mean, you're sort of running back and forth on ice. I tried to curl one time and I fell over. Yeah. Yeah. And then I did a different activity. (laughs) I miss curling. COVID's really messed up. I was curling for a couple years and I was not the worst. I was getting better and now I imagine I would be horrible again. Weren't you the team coach? Uh. Yeah, I was the skip. You were the skip. Thank you. I'm, I'm <laughs> not outing, the coach. outing myself here no. as someone who does not know about No, curling. curling teams have a coach and then a skip. Skip okay. is like the lead or the captain. Right. Uh, yeah, because I wanted to curl and didn't have any friends to curl with me. I'm like, I'll join a team. Yeah. And the club put me together with a bunch of random people I'd never met and was like, none of them want to be skip and you need a skip to play. And I was like, I don't know. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> no better way to learn than taking charge on a sport I haven't played since I was 16 years old. There you go. I learned pretty fast. Yeah. I watched you curl one time. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Why? Because we were going to, like, watch a movie after. Uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she was like, come watch me curl. And I was like, All I don't right. think we won that game. No, you didn't. <laughs> I, was it the game I lost 13 to nothing? <laughs> I feel like it was, like, you were having a hard game. I mean, the thing is, we always had hard games. How many games do you think you guys won? None. Oh, no, hold on. I'm trying to remember now. We may have won one the first year, maybe two the second, but not a lot. Like our winning streak wasn't good. Yeah. I did. I uh, spared for a like mixed league on the weekends and I won the one game I played okay. with them. There you go. Um, you just can't give me any out turns. I can only do interns. I don't know what that means, Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a quiet conversation I'm having with the curlers out there. Okay. Alex isn't a part of this anymore. <laughs> I'm just here. <laughs> I'm 
talking at you, but not to yeah. you. <laughs> but you are telling me here that if I were to choose one of these parties, the granite would be. A it good should one. be the one at the granite. I got it. It's a cool space, if nothing else. Yeah. Mm. Um, the sixties um, also had Club Morocco. That was a big deal, right? Yes, I've 60s. heard of Club Morocco. Yes, which was at Portage and Langside. Okay. Not maybe as fun a place now as it once was. I'm trying to think of what's that's where the oh that's God. where the science building is. Yeah, the science building for the UW and the juniors across the street. Yeah, it's yeah. not a great, if not a great area. I wouldn't go party at the juniors. That's for sure. No. <laughs> Come on, um, get but, a fat boy and some fries. There you go. <laughs> that's, a, that's a party. I mean, why not? Um, and I say that as someone who lives downtown. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they had a New Year's Eve frolic uh, with song stylist Princess Carmita and their famous Oriental smorgasbord. I say oh. in, in air quotes. Yeah, great. That's not. Yeah. That's fun. Well. That's the thing with Club Morocco is I feel like it was a little bit of that, like, ooh, it's like fun Orientalism. And they're like, oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> like, any time past it, you're just like, oh, gross. I don't like this. Yeah. And it's weird to talk about. It is. Um, this Here's an unproblematic party for you. I'll take it. We're in the 70s now. This is when parties get... This is when famously nothing <laughs> is problematic. <Yeah. laughs> no, the 70s were great. <laughs> um famously my least favorite decade <laughs> yes you've gone on record with this yeah. before um but there is a new year's eve ball at the maryland motor hotel where you can dance to the music of daydream for 25 dollars per couple um there are noisemakers hats and corsages hot and cold hors d'oeuvres juice salad prime <laughs> roast beef garden vegetables and potatoes and a creme de menthe parfait i always want my parties to have salad and juice <laughs> and cold hors d'oeuvres thank you <laughs> I mean, eventually, if you leave the hot ones out for long enough, they'll also become cool. Yeah, waters. this is actually a little bit neat. You could go see the Drifters at the Holiday Inn. Oh, cool. I mean, it's a little, it's like a couple de decades after they were famous, I yeah, feel but like, like. But still, that's fun. It's like going to see Streetheart at Regent. Yeah, so you had those <laughs> options and many other parties to go to. However, entertainment editor Gene Telpner suggested staying home and watching the Guy Lombardo Orchestra on TV. <laughs> I love Gene Teltner. <laughs> According to him, if your car doesn't get stalled, there's a chance you will get clobbered by someone who has had one too many. <laughs> oh, God. He also suggested that you there was still time to book a flight to the Bahamas and spend the holidays there. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is a critic who always said what he meant. <laughs> this is a critic who was broken that year. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Because it's like, what? Well, if you go out, you might get hit by a drunk driver. Why not leave the city completely? Yeah. He's like, there are parties... I don't know. Don't go to them. Watch Guy Lombardo instead. <laughs> That's the entertainment editor. <laughs> um, the next year, there is a giant disco party. Yeah. Um, with a 7,000 uh, people capacity at the convention center. Uh, with a dance and a buffet, it had hot and cold foods, desserts, music by CKY disc jockeys, a revolving <laughs> stage, and special lighting effects. Ooh. <laughs> um... And last but not least, um, in 1978, the Tribune does also inform us that a local agency is offering a male guitarist, singer, dancer who strips for a fee of between $75 and $100. <laughs> Bizarrely, though. Why is the fee negotiable bizarre. between that little amount? Yeah. Is it like guitar, no guitar? Is that the... <laughs> that seems like a really small gap between guitar, no guitar. Like, for $25. Can I tell you my favorite thing about that spotlight, yeah. though? Is they don't tell you. There's no information about how to get that. They just want you to know. 
that like somewhere out in Winnipeg, you can find this man. They just say a local agency and that's it. There's no contact information? Nope. <laughs> you just have to be in the know to figure out how to yeah, get this. They're like... like, the Tribune's just like, just so you know, you can get a male stripper. With the guitar yeah. that may or may not be removable. Yeah. <laughs> For a fee of an extra $25. You have to find him yourself. Yeah. So. You have to you have to earn this stripper. <laughs> yes. So that is as far as I went with my historic New Year's Eves. But my dad did want to contribute by telling me that um, he went and saw Rocky Roulette at the convention center <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Do you know Rocky Roulette? I do not. Okay. Um, it's Peter Jordan's band. Yes. Right? Yeah. I'm glad you remembered the name. Yeah, it was Peter Jordan. Do you want to explain who Peter Jordan is? He was... He had this thing on the CBC where it was like he tried different jobs. Is that what it was? Something like that. Yeah, I'm not I sure. I forget what the gimmick was called, but I just I remember him like, you know, if the Olympics were on, he was off like, you know, doing all the sports and stuff. Like it was called It's a Living. Yes. That's what it was called. It's a Living with Peter Jordan. And I met Peter Jordan working on a movie about Elijah Harper. Oh. oh. It was a CTV movie of the week that I, one of the few like films I worked on right out of film school. And he played a guy who had to remove little Elijah from his home and take him to a residential school. Oh. And Peter Jordan was like, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm always the nice guy. It's kind of interesting to play a bad guy. <laughs> like, okay. It was so wild. But it was like, and <laughs> one of the guys on set is like, the guy from Rocky Roulette just steal little Elijah? Like, what's going on? (laughs) Oh, my God. Rocky Roulette. So, yeah. So, Peter Jordan's this famous, like, media personality. And Rocky Roulette was his, like, alter ego for this kind of, like, tongue-in-cheek band, which also had a children's version in which all the band members were named after types of noodles, I think. (laughs) (laughs) See, now I'm more interested in this band. Oh. <laughs> Samson just knocked over his barricade. Samson, Samson has burst into the recording room. Samson, the podcast dog, has just burst into the studio, <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> so your dad's a big Rocky Roulette fan. Then. Uh, I I don't think so. I think he just went to that one thing. <laughs> but he was like, "Oh yeah, I saw Rocky Roulette." I'm like, "You saw what? I don't understand. <laughs> what is this?" Yeah. A show on New Year's Eve in Winnipeg, like, I, because I definitely went to some shows, like, at the convention center and stuff. Yeah. It was, like, the Headstones with Jet Set Satellite, you know, is always, like, good touring band and then, like, you know, terrible local band. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, you're getting drunk in a room with a bunch of, like, Winnipeggers who don't care about yeah. what is on the stage. Yes. And that would have been about the year 2000. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm sure it was much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like since, like, the 70s, that's been, like, a thing you can do on New Year's. Yeah, good times. Um, Yeah, so I have one one last little New Year's history. Um, now, let's say that you've managed to get through uh, New Year's Eve and you're not too hungover. Across all of the decades? Across all of the decades. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like a... A pub crawl, crawl through you've time. Had, you've had one drink in each decade. A pub crawl through time seems like something a real try-hard tour guide would be trying to sell you on. Uh, yes, <laughs> like we go to these different like bars that were built in and different And then I give decades. you fun facts about the architecture, and it's like a pub crawl through time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a little like signature cocktail for yeah. each era. Oh, I want to do that now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, but assuming that on New Year's Day you're still alive. Yeah. Um. 
do you know that you can go, or at least until very recently, could go and visit the lieutenant governor's house on New Year's Day? I could visit the lieutenant governor while super hungover. Is that what you're <laughs> telling me? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> God, I um, can't imagine a worse way to meet someone. <laughs> I found this out because I was admiring the building. The, new, the yeah. lieutenant governor's house is like, it's on the legislative grounds. And yeah, it's, it's quite like nice. a beautiful old like white kind of house yes. tucked away behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was um, looking at it and I was saying to my dad, like, oh, it's so nice. I want to go see you. He was like, oh, well, you can on New Year's Day you can go into the lieutenant governor's house and I'm like okay so I was looking up like why that's a thing because it's called the New Year's Day levee I've never been but um on New Year's Day the lieutenant governor invites people into their official residence oh and this is a long-standing tradition like very long so this comes from um levee like to rise in French um, and it comes from the French king Louis XIV's habit of receiving subjects in his bedchambers after getting up in the morning. I'm assuming Lieutenant Governor isn't normally in bed when you go to visit them. I mean, I haven't <laughs> been, so I can't promise that. <laughs> they're still in their pajamas. They're, like, under the sheets. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when the Simpsons go to the White House and Barbara Bush is in the bath. Yes, and then she yeah, starts that. telling them about the history of the bath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's identical to that, yes. Okay, excellent. Um, but yeah, so that um, that custom spread across Europe and came to mean more broadly just like a formal reception given by a monarch at which you could go and talk yeah. to them. Um, only for men, though. So, which kind of makes sense in the original context if he if the king is receiving subjects in his bedchambers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for a long time, it was like a male only thing. Um. And in the Commonwealth, because the actual monarch wasn't there and people mm-hmm. were so spread out, the levee became kind of an important political event where um, the monarch's representative and local leaders could actually get together and talk, which maybe didn't happen all that often. Now, separately, though, during the fur trade, it was customary for trappers and traders to go and visit the master of the fort on New Year's Day. Oh. Um, now, visiting the, va- the master of the fort was a lot more of, like, a celebration yeah. than just an audience, and it was expected that there would be, like, a ton of food and liquor to be had. Okay, so, like, a second New Year's party, kind of, right? Yes, yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah, so it would be, like, a New Year's party at the fort, I suppose. Yeah, yeah at which you'd go kind of visit. Um, and so these two traditions of, like, the Commonwealth tradition of the levee and the fur trade tradition mm-hmm. of going to visit the master of the fort on New Year's were combined oh. in Canada. Um, this was also a thing in the military, the levee, um, which is when the men-only rule was dropped, which is because yeah. there were female officers at yeah. some point, And, you know. They'd like to take part like, in this. Yes. So during the Second World War, they were like, okay, fine. <laughs> Great. Yeah. If we have to. <laughs> so the lieutenant general or the lieutenant governor's uh, resident residence was completed in 1883, the one yep. here in Manitoba. So in 1884, the first levee was held in a similar tradition to what we have today with the general public attending. Unfortunately, I found out in my research that it has, because there's so many visitors, been moved into the legislative building. Oh, bummer. Which is boring. I want to go see the lieutenant governor. In their bed. In their bed. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually visit the uh, house for doors open in Winnipeg okay. sometimes, I'll which is the last that. weekend in May every yeah. year. Um, in case you're really curious, I don't think they're in bed when you go to see them. Probably not. I think it's more like a formal tour, but if you want to go see the inside of it, it's a cool house. 
yeah, and I, I would like to see the inside and hopefully will at some point, but apparently this is not my um, not your way to do it. Not my way to do it. But a, a secondary thing did come up as I was researching this, which is kind of interesting, which is that as part of this celebration in like in years past, yeah. um, wine and cheese from Europe was often served. And apparently, according to one source that I read, since wine didn't last well during the voyage, it was heated with alcohol and spices and sugar, especially in places like Quebec. Yeah. Um, and was called Le Saint du Caribou, which is where possibly the drink Caribou comes from, which oh. is a staple at uh, Festival in yeah. Manitoba and at the Quebec Winter Carnival. And those oh. are those are actually the only places where you can get Caribou, which is oh. Have you had it? No, I haven't. Okay, yeah. It's a little bit like, like glue wine or like mulled wine. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but it's a thing only in Manitoba and Quebec. Hmm. Um, however, the origin of caribou is that fur traders were drinking literal fresh caribou blood mixed with alcohol to keep warm. And, huh. <laughs> the, I mean, maybe. I find it unlikely. That seems gross. Between, like, both of these histories felt a little apocryphal to me. You know what I mean? I mean, they always do, and it's the origin of something, yes. right? And I had a heck of a time trying to find the actual origin, because if you search caribou, it just... Weird. <laughs> or if you're like, caribou, caribou origins. Caribou drink. It's like, <laughs> here's a recipe. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably more likely that it came to be called that because it's red and looked like blood yeah yeah and that it did not in fact include fresh blood, blood? i yeah i mean who knows but it just seems unlikely yeah that seems very strange yes even but then, for like old-timey drink standards that's yeah. a lot but then also the thing about like wine not traveling well is like eh, a little iffy yeah so who knows i don't know somehow we got caribou and it might have come from the levee, and you can't go visit Lou to the lieutenant governor's house, <laughs> even if you're not hungover. And maybe one day we'll be in the ballet. We've got many goals coming yeah. up. <laughs> We're going to see lieutenant governor's oh, house. My vision board's getting complicated, Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> it's me in the lieutenant governor's house in a dress. And you're in their bed for some reason. <laughs> and the bed's in the bathtub. <laughs> Everything's all over the place. This is a mess of an episode. <laughs> We've really lost the plot. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is our holiday episode. Yeah. Nothing died in this one. Last year we talked about a bunch of dead reindeer, so I feel like that's a, a net positive is nothing died. So if you feel like this episode was too happy, not enough death. Go back. Go back <laughs> here. We we cover yeah. it there. Yeah. You got your pumpkin head plate you haven't talked about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, we talk about pumpkin head, uh, the Eaton's answer to Rudolph. He is a teddy bear with a big mop of blonde hair, and he's so sad because he can't join the parade. Yep. It's it's Rudolph, but instead of, like, the nose shining the way, it's that pumpkin head's mop of hair lets him wear a hat that helps him lead a parade. And Sabrina <laughs> is recently the proud owner of some pumpkin head merch. Yeah, I went to an antique sale at the Viscount Gort Hotel, <laughs> and uh, the guy that owns Mike's General Store on St. Anne's. Mike. Yeah, Mike. I know Mike. Yeah, yeah, he was selling a pumpkin head plate. Oh, that that awesome. sentence is the most Winnipeg sentence I've heard in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. 
But uh, I bought it, and then when I was going to get cash from the ATM, he told my mom he was so surprised that anyone anyone young knew who Pumpkinhead was. <laughs> and I suspect probably we might be the only exceptions to, like, knowing who Pumpkinhead is under yeah, 35. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, I own a Pumpkinhead plate now, and I don't know what to do with it. And I'm also terrified my cats will ruin it. Oh. Happy holidays! <laughs> <laughs> uh. If you want to take part in the festive spirit beyond making fun of your friends on mic a bunch of times, uh, <laughs> consider donating to uh, local charities like the Main Street Project or Winnipeg Harvest. They help uh, keep people warm when it's cold, provide needed supplies, and keep people fed. And if you haven't done your Christmas shopping yet, although, by God, it, this is December 15th when this comes out, why are you not done? <laughs> buy local. Support all of our cool local artists and stuff like that. There's all mm -hmm. kinds of things to buy. Nick, I think, has a red bubble. Don't you? Yeah. I got a bunch of designs because I'm an illustrator. So, yeah, it's a uh, look up Nickel Astronaut on Redbubble. And, uh, or just go on to Redbubble and support some artists. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah support people. Support Nick. You can also support us on Patreon. Hey. Yeah. A Christmas gift to us would be to let us buy research materials. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for just $5 a month, you can hear weird stories about Marilyn Monroe maybe being from Winnipeg. Uh, Alex's interview with Chris Rutowski about mm -hmm. the Falcon Lake incident. Uh, news clippings about Ginger Snooks if you want to hear what Ginger Snooks got up to over the years. So you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash one great history. If you want to see any of Alex's news clippings or pictures of the ballet, you can check that out at onegreathistory.wordpress.com. Uh, and if you want to see any of that, we'll also be sharing it on social media. So you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at One Great History. We are on Twitter at the number one great history. We're always sharing fun archival stuff that we find or weird research things. All kinds of stuff is out there. Please check us out. Have a happy holidays and we'll talk to you in the new year. Mm -hmm.